said about the existence of this paper. I knew, I knew it existed, I just didn't know where. Um, all right. Um, Genesis 1.1, we're just going to start at the very beginning. We began a new series a few weeks ago. Um, only got to do one lesson because of the events with my mother. Um, but we're going to redo an old series I did on Sunday nights uh, eight years ago. Uh, eight years ago I did a series on biblical doctrine on Sunday evenings. And so I really felt like it would be very appropriate and good to do this on Sunday mornings. And uh, we've got a lot of you know, young kids in our church need to hear these things, and new people and all of that. I need to be reminded of it. All of us need to be reminded of these things. And some of it might be very simple and basic for those that have been you know, saved a long time and already know it. Uh, but you know, we, we all need refresher courses. And uh, we might be surprised sometimes how much we've forgotten too. And we might be surprised sometimes within eight years how much the culture maybe has affected the way we think. And so it's definitely good to go over these things time and again. Um, this is officially really the first lesson. The last one was more of an introduction to biblical doctrine. Uh, this one we're going to begin with the existence of God. The existence of God. You might say, well, preacher, why in the world do we need this? We're a church. Obviously, we believe that God exists. And I, I, I really doubt there's anyone here that does not believe in the existence of God. Maybe there is. I could be surprised, uh, but it's still necessary because this is where all biblical doctrine begins with this teaching on the existence of God, and, and though you might believe it yourself in the existence of God, as a Christian, uh, you also want to be able to talk to people about the existence of God, and so, uh, so maybe it's not to convince you this morning as much as it is to prepare you and give you some thoughts to share with other people because everybody out there does not believe in the existence of God. You know, until you get someone to understand or acknowledge the existence of God, you can't even really share the gospel with them. You see that with the apostle Peter, whenever he goes up on Mars Hill to a very pagan place, and he, he has to start from the very beginning with creation. And really, folks, that, that is, before we ever gave him the gospel, and that's really a lot with what we have to deal with as Christians because our culture has, has been polarized with the thought that there is no God. And so before we can even give people the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've got to go back and lay this very foundation of the first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God. It's sad that that's where we're at because you know, not, not too long ago when we were maybe younger, uh, I'm 50 years old, but... Evolution just started getting taught in schools at my school whenever I was a boy. I know they got started in some places in the 60s. Some of you might remember that. I don't. I wasn't around. Uh, but in some schools was teaching that. Uh, but, you know, we, we've had now a whole couple of generations of, of people being raised up, and some have been, had it driven in their mind that there is no God. And we all evolved, and there is no maker, there is no creator. And we are seeing the effects of that in our culture. We are reaping the long-term effects of that. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But we need to establish oftentimes when we're talking to people the actual existence of God. You, you go to talk to a person immediately and you say, Hey, are you saved? They're not, a lot of people aren't going to have a clue what you're even talking about. You might as well start talking to them about Jesus. And they'll say, Jesus who? What are you talking about? So, well, everybody knows the name of Jesus. Don't take that for granted. 
And if they know his name, they may not, they may not know who he is. And so I'm just laying the foundation here of biblical doctrine. So I want it not just to be a teaching session to teach you, but as we go through these, some of these familiar things, may it help you to use them as tools and reminders to how to talk to people that don't know these things. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Father, help us as we uh, deal with this subject of your existence. And I know that this may be elementary for most here, but Lord, I pray that it would encourage us, our faith, and Lord, that it would instruct us as well to be able to go out into this world that so many people do not even believe in your existence. We live in a foolish culture. And Father, I pray that it would equip us, Lord, to know how to speak to others. And Lord, we know that you exist. But Father, we know it's not enough just to know you exist. We must also believe you. And help us to establish that as well this morning. In Jesus' name, and amen. You know, teaching on the existence of God really is the uh, logical and scriptural starting point in our study of biblical doctrine or, or teachings. And so why is the teaching of the existence of God important? That seems very self-explanatory to me and probably to you as well. Uh, but without the existence of God, what else matters that we would teach from the Bible? If God does not exist, then this is not His Word, and what it says doesn't matter, right? And, and so the existence of God, of course, is important because everything we would teach from this Word that we say comes from God is not important if God does not even exist. I like what uh, the old Baptist John Gill said. He said, I shall begin with the being of God and proof and evidence of it, which is the foundation of all religion. For if there is no God, religion is a vain thing, and it matters not what we believe, nor what we do, since there is no superior being to whom we are accountable for either faith or practice. And that is absolutely true. Now, very quickly, we won't labor this point very long at all, uh, but the existence of God is assumed in the Bible. In other words, the, the Bible doesn't go to extent to try to prove to you that God exists. I mean, it starts out, in the beginning, God. It doesn't say God came from here or, or anything like that, or you need to believe in the beginning of God. It just says, in the beginning, God. So from the very beginning of the Bible, it is interesting to note that the Scriptures never make effort to prove that there is a God. These, there's many Scriptures. We're not going to turn to these. Uh, by way of reminder, if, if the Scripture references aren't in bold, that means I'm not turning to them. They're just like a Scripture reference. So if you want to write them down or look at them later, uh, you may do that. Um, and so just as a reminder there, so far as how I use the PowerPoint uh, up here. Uh, but these Scriptures up here uh, simply assert that there is a God to whom we are accountable uh, unto. And, and to not believe in God is extremely foolish. Uh, the Bible teaches us that it is foolish to not believe that there is a God. Uh, what a terrible thing to be labeled a fool from God's Word. And he does call people who do not believe in Him a fool. We'll look at that verse later. But I want to uh, go past this. I, I believe most of us here would uh, understand this principle the existence of God is assumed in the Bible. Now, here is some evidence, I believe, of the existence of God, and that is the moral nature of man. 
uh, demonstrates the existence of God. The moral nature of man demonstrates the very existence of God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. We'll just read verse 14 and 15. For it says, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these also not having the law are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. That the fact this morning that man has a moral conscience that reflects the moral law of God is actual proof of the very existence of God. And so Paul is making this point that Gentiles who don't know God, who do not have the law of God, when they obey principles within the law, they are, it's a witness to themselves that they are a moral agent and that they have a moral standard. And he's saying that is evidence of the existence of God. Our conscience is. Um, C.D. Cole stated this, he said, a, a man once sought to ridicule the idea of God, and he asked his Christian neighbor if he had ever seen God. The believer admitted he had not. He was asked if he had ever heard God speak, or if he had ever tasted God, or if he had ever smelled God. The believer admitted that, he, that with the physical senses he had never apprehended God, and then shut the mouth of the atheist by asking him if he'd ever told a lie. And when he confessed he had, he was further asked how he felt. He admitted that he had an uneasy or an apprehensive feeling. And he told him that now this feeling was a testimony of conscience, telling him that there was a God, a moral lawgiver, to whom he must give account. I've I seen this great video, it really was kind of almost like this, uh, quote I gave from C.D. Cole, and it was a, a young boy asking his professor, I understand it was staged, but this professor was trying to convince this young boy that there was no God, and he asked those same questions. Have you seen God? Have you tasted God? Have you felt God uh, with a physical touch? And, and the boy said no, and, and, the, and the professor uh, said, uh, well then, God isn't real. I believe in science. I can't feel, touch, or see, or observe. And, and then uh, the young boy proceeds further uh, to ask him if he's ever seen his brain. Has he felt his brain? Have he, has he tasted his brain? And he said, well, no, of course not. He said, well, based upon what you said, your brain does not exist. <laughs> I love that. Um, uh, you know, the Bible assumes God, and our conscience tells us that there is a God. The very fact that mankind all over the world is religious by nature, and desire government based on moral principles. I understand they don't want all of God's law or all of God's moral principles, uh, but most people want to believe or, or, or be in a culture that doesn't promote stealing. Most people want to be in a culture that does not want to promote just out murder. I understand abortion is murder, but you get the idea, uh, murdering adults. Most people want to, to live in a culture like that. Most people want to, to live in a culture, uh, you know, of faithfulness uh, between spouses and think that that's the right, may think that's the right thing to do. And we can go on with such moral principles in God's Word. Most people understand that and want that. The very fact that people want that and desire that 
is testimony that they have a conscience that these things are wrong. Now, man would, would, would respond to that and to this that, well, well, the religious world, the religious world has, has so affected our mindset and corrupted our minds that we think those things are wrong. But yet at the same time, they don't want them. In other words, they don't want to live in a culture of murder. They don't want to live in a culture of stealing and thievery and such uh, things as that. And so it bears testimony that even though they might say that, that religion has caused that over years or or generations of of corrupting people's minds, the fact that they still do not want those things gives testimony uh, that their conscience, uh, uh, that they are in agreement with their conscience and that they know that those things are wrong. Ezekiel Hopkins said, There is a conscience in man, therefore there is a God in heaven. Very simply stated, but I believe that to be true. Uh, turn to Roman, or Psalm 14, if you would. Psalm 14. We were, gave this as a scripture reference just a moment ago. But Psalms 14 and, and verse 1 uh, declares this, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Now, I find it very interesting. I mean, I do believe that people come to a place where they have, where they have been, uh, had some systems drowning out the truth of the reality of God from their mind, and they may indeed come to a place where they really believe that maybe there is no God. I, I have a hard time believing that, but let's just say that is. But this passage, however, is not teaching that. He said, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. In other words, he's speaking to himself and saying that there is no God. The fact that you have to tell yourself that there is no God is also very telling. Uh, But the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But then he says, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that does good. If what we are teaching is true in regard to to the existence of God, man must be taught. If his conscience bears testimony then man must be taught that there is no God. I believe you put someone out there and have nobody around them to teach them otherwise, they are going to be religious in nature. They're going to acknowledge that there must be a Creator. You know, many seek to educate themselves into that belief that there is no God. And the reason that they do this is because they are uncomfortable with the idea that there is a supreme being that they are accountable unto. Now these words here in uh, Psalm 14.1 teach us some things about the effects upon a culture that continually teaches that there is no God. What happens here to the person here who does not believe that there is no God? What happens to the fool that continually says to himself, there is no God? What will the, the moral response be to such thoughts? We says, they say in their heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. Folks, we look around our culture and we see that it becomes more and more abominable in our society and in our culture. This did not happen overnight. It did not happen overnight, as we already stated. It has come about from generations of instilling into the minds of our culture and our society that there is no God. That's what happens to a culture and society that has had this proclaimed to them week after week after week. 
through various means, through the public school system, through movies, through the news, through history channels. I mean, we have all evolved for millions and millions of years, right? That there is no God that created. Satan wants people to disbelieve the very first chapter of his book. If he destroys the foundation of the Word of God, that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth, then he destroys everything else in the book. That's exactly what has happened to our culture. And we are seeing the results of that. We've had an anti-God education system, and the results of that is great immoral behavior in our culture. Now just because people, a culture behaves morally does not mean that everyone in that culture knows Jesus Christ, okay? There's a lot of moral people that aren't saved and they do not know the Lord. But the effect upon a culture as a whole, when you teach it that there is no God, will be the downfall of that society and be great uh, abominable things. The fact that man's conscience tells him things are wrong, as we said, is testimony to the existence of God. But through education and through acts of immorality, man's conscience actually becomes hardened after a while. And so after you, know, you sin so much and no longer you feel bad about things that you did feel bad about, and, and then you may be in an education system that keeps telling you that God isn't real, there are no absolutes of morality, that there is no right, there is no wrong, there is no dark, there is no light, everything's subjective, what may be your truth may be your truth, and they may not even agree. We're hearing this kind of thing bombarding our culture and our society. Man's conscience can then become very corrupt. And then it isn't a very good tool then to determine right and wrong in your life. And so those things do affect that. But the fact that man has a conscience... And though it may become hardened over time, it bears witness to him as it has in the past accused him or else excused him and it proves that there, is a, that there is a God. You know, many today wish to teach that man does not have a moral conscience. That it does not coincide with a supreme being and only blames religion, as we said. But the very fact that these very same people would teach any idea of morality to their children, I know we're actually getting a little bit away from that, uh, but would teach any sort of morality, I'm sure they don't teach their children, hey, listen, it's okay if you lie to me, it's all right. (laughs) They teach aspects of morality to their children, that gives evidence of a moral compass compass and of a God-given conscience. Now the second evidence of the existence of God is creation itself. In Psalm 19, you're real close to that, but in Psalm 19, we'll read just a few verses there. Creation proves the existence of God. I remember one time, I was young in the ministry, I was out door knocking, witnessing to people, and I come across this man who said he was an atheist, and, and, um, and, and so I started talking about different things with him to try to prove the existence of God. Of course, he's not going to believe the Bible, right? If he says he's an atheist... He doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe this is God's Word. And so you, you, you resort to some of these discussions to try to get people to think. And, um, and anyhow, I, I, said, uh, I started talking to him about his house. I said, and I said, well, your house is a nice house and such. I said, what if I told you that uh, millions of years ago, things started coming together for you to live in this house? 
And he said, well, that's dumb. <laughs> I said, yeah, it kind of is. It kind of is. I said, if you don't believe that it's possible for a house to ever be built without some, co- some force on the outside doing this, um, if you don't believe that can happen, how about all the creation? How about everything you see, the complexity of, of earth? How could you believe that? It just all kind of came together. and we are, Here we are, human beings, walking this place called earth, and everything's functioning, everything's working. And yet you wouldn't believe that your house just could, could just come together without help. And that, I, th- I felt like that was a, a good point to be made. When Psalms 19 and verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork, day unto day utters speech. I love that. The creation has a voice. The creation has a testimony. It says, I am great, but there's one greater that has made me. Night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Listen, everywhere across the world, people have the testimony of their conscience within them, and they have the testimony of creation outside of them, the world that God has placed them in that says, there is a Creator that made everything you see, that made you, and you are a moral agent. And therefore you have a Creator that you answer to. It seems fairly simple. And it is. But God has given us those two things to prove His existence. The sun, the moon, the stars, all the galaxies serve as a universal testimony that there indeed is a God. I tell you, sometimes if I'm total quietness and, and just meditate upon creation and, and the complexity of nature, the complexity of the, the human body, and the complexity of, 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 of animals and how God made each and every one, how can you study these things out and say, this is all perchance? We would never look at just a, a beautiful canvas of painting and say, it's amazing how all that paint just arrayed itself without no painter. We would never foolishly say things. You'd never go to an art museum and look at something and say, wow, isn't it amazing how that those things just came together on, this, on that canvas or that statue. It, it just was formed with, without anybody doing it. It'd be kind of tempting to go to, to a museum and just start talking like that out loud, you know. They would think you're crazy and probably kick you out. If you went to each piece and just said those things, this guy's nuts, I'm afraid he's going to hurt somebody. He's, he's, he's crazy. I'm not going to... I probably won't do that, all right? I don't like going to a museum anyway, art museum. My wife does. I'll go with her once a decade. Um, I need to go soon. I've told her I would, so... Anyhow, I may do that. I don't know. That sounds like fun. Um, <laughs> the, the art museum is sounding really tempting right now. <laughs> She said, oh, no, I'm going to go a different time. Um, listen, it, listen, it doesn't matter where you stand on this earth, what language you speak, how much education you have. The heavens declare the glory of God. The voice of the created heavens declare that there is a God that made them. It takes a very illogical mind or, or just being willing and want to be deceived to look at the heavens, to look at creation, to consider its complexity, its order, and say, there is no Creator. It's foolish, the Bible says. 
Romans 1, turn there if you would. Now again, we'll see this impact upon our culture. We'll refer to that. But Romans 1, well, I tell you, we live in a Romans 1 culture. So why, why is our world going the direction it is? Read Romans 1. If, if that doesn't tell you, you, your eyes aren't open. It's right there. In Romans 1, start with verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, in other words, the attributes, the nature, character of God, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Though you can't see God, right, with your eyes, you can understand that there is God, understand some things about God by what you can see, by the things that are made, right? Even His eternal power and Godhead. So there's a lot to learn about God by looking at creation. It says, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. That's exactly what we've done. We have replaced the Creator with creation. Listen, I, I, this, this might hurt some people, um, but listen, there are some sometimes... Listen, I appreciate pets, I like animals, all that, but sometimes there is in our culture, it is just promoted an, an inordinate affection for, for animals sometimes. I, I don't believe we should beat them and stuff like that. You understand that. We should take care of them. But sometimes it's just an inordinate affection, especially in our culture where it's like, it's almost like, like animal life is exalted over human life. So a preacher hasn't gotten that bad. I'll tell you, you go shoot an eagle and find out how much trouble you get into. Well, don't do that. All right, don't do that. Don't go shoot an eagle. But you get the idea. Listen, we don't value human life. Our culture doesn't as much as it values sometimes animal life. Some of our laws and regulations, uh, it, it, the animals are ruling over humans. The very opposite of what God ordained. Man was told to, to reign over earth, and, and he had power over the animals. He made us in the image of God. He didn't make animals in the image of God. And yet we are subservient sometimes unto animals. Uh, I don't know, I think about that every time I see somebody walking a dog in a bag behind them. Anyhow, uh, to each his own, if you do that, I'm not saying you're worshiping your animal, but I don't know, I just don't, <laughs> that's not me, okay? <laughs> uh, our culture's gotten messed up, hasn't it? Um, and I, I like animals, I do. I think we should take care of them. I think we should. Good stewards of what God's given us. But there isn't, there, we, are at, we are in disorder in our culture. The EPA, some of the regulations. I mean, there, there have been people that have went bankrupt because of EPA regulations. Have lost things because of that. It's crazy. The advancement of the EPA regulations and all of this and how things work. The, the love of Mother Earth in our culture. Folks, you're not going to save the world. I, I mean, I think, I think recycling is even good. I, I try to recycle. I don't think that they do what they should do with it, but it might make me feel a little better. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I think being responsible humans, is, God's called us that in this culture. There's nothing wrong with that. 
but you're not going to save the earth. It's not going to happen. It's going to burn up. Say, <laughs> so, well, the earth is going to be destroyed. It is going to be destroyed, but not the way, not the way people are saying it's going to be destroyed. We, we, we just worship creation over the Creator. And we have the evidence of that in our culture. What happens when we do this? Verse 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Exchanged the truth of God for the lie. What is that lie? And worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator. The truth that they denied was God as Creator. The lie is that He's not. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing that what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. In other words, God says, okay, you don't want to believe in me, you want to deny me, you want to worship my creation rather than me. He's going to turn a culture and society over to vile affections, and He tells us what those vile affections are. Folks, we didn't get here overnight in our culture and our society. You can't keep teaching children that there is no God that they answer to and teaching them that there is no absolute truth and that this is not His Word and expect to create a moral society. We should not be surprised by what we see. Man has ignored what creation is teaching him. And because of such, he has plunged himself more and more into uncleanness. And eventually, after man continues to ignore the teachings of creation, we find that God turns him over and man no longer has a moral conscience. He has a debased mind. His mind becomes so corrupt. And that's exactly where we are today. Now, it's not just looking at, at creation in regard to the heavens or the animals that speak of a God, but it's simply, and simply considering the complexity of the human body, it tells us that there is a master builder. David said this in Psalm 139, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows right well. Just the complexity of the human body alone tells us of the existence of God. The order and design of all of creation proves the existence of God. You, you look at even the science in regards to what would happen if this planet moved here, if it was off orbit just a little bit. What if we were a little bit further, a little bit closer to the sun? Well, isn't it amazing how that just happened? The way in which we are suspended by gravitational forces. I mean, wow, that's, what, a, what a thing that has just happened to us. It gives testimony that there is a supreme being. And that supreme being, now we won't turn there for the sake of time, but in Hebrews 1, that supreme being is doing it by the word of His power. God created it by His word in, in, in Genesis 1, and God is keeping it together by the word of His power. 
T.P. Simmons said this, We observe amazing adaption in the fitness of the things that have been provided for man. Take the air we breathe as only one of the myriad examples. The atmosphere is composed of approximately 21 parts of oxygen and 78 parts of nitrogen. These proportions of oxygen and nitrogen are exactly, are exactly those which are best suited to man's needs. If the quantity of nitrogen were appreciably increased, all the functions of the human body would be performed with such difficulty and pain as to be brought eventually to a standstill. If the proportion of oxygen were considerably increased, all the processes of life would be accelerated to such a feverish pace that the bodies of all men and animals would soon be burned up. Certain other proportions of these gases would be transformed by heat into deadly poisons. In fact, out of the hundred possible proportions of oxygen and nitrogen, we have only one perfectly adapted to the means of both man and beast. And that's just one aspect. Listen, all of creation cries out against the error of evolution. And folks, listen, and so, some of you have your kids and systems that are teaching them that every day. Listen, every time your child hears the term millions of years, they are hearing there is no God. There is no Creator. So, well, some people believe in a theistic evolution that God used millions of years. Listen, that came along after evolution. Religion sought to try to explain evolution because they believed evolution. And well, how can I connect evolution with God? Listen, in six days, the Lord our God made heaven and earth. And every time your child hears otherwise, he's saying, this book is a lie. All of creation declares the error of evolution. I love this, this little picture here. I don't know if you'll be able to see it very good. I couldn't, couldn't get to enlarge for some reason. But uh, I love this. Oh, yeah, it's coming out okay. Don't be absurd. Nobody made us. We evolved by chance from snowflakes. <laughs> There's a lot more depth to that than you realize. <laughs> and I won't even get political at all. Um, but, you know, what, what is the chances of that? I mean, a snowman. Has anybody... Remember how, how, what a phenomenon it was uh, probably about 11 years ago when that wind rolled perfectly and went all those rolling balls all over? Wow, that was an amazing thing. Now, God did that. We know that. But none of them ever piled on top of each other and then, you know, built a little snowman all on their own. I mean, what's the chances of snowflakes just happen to fall in such an order to build a snowman? It's not ever going to happen. It hasn't happened. But yet we, people could believe that that we just happened by chance, that everything just happened, just fell just right. Folks, it's foolish. As foolish as it would be for you to believe a snowman just happened to appear. As foolish as it would believe for you to, to believe that, that, that a painting just happened, that the paint just got there all on its own. It's foolish to you believe that there is no God. Our culture, though, wants to believe that. I don't believe they truly do believe that. Most of them do not because of their conscience and because of creation. I think that no, no matter what people might say they believe, they're always going to have that attacking them and giving testimony to them. I should say convicting them. And that is gracious that God gives them that. All of which 
we believe begins with the existence of God. Everything. So therefore, it's only understandable to know that without a doubt, Satan has this evil plan that he has devised, devised to remove the existence of God from man's mind. And by so doing, he has caused man to plunge himself into absolute chaos and immorality. There are now no absolutes in our culture, and there is no accountability for which one we are accountable to. Satan has promoted his evolution agenda through many methods, and it has shown up greatly in the moral breakdown of our society. And this has taken place over a very short period of time. As it just began to be introduced into our public schools in the 60s. It's amazing how quickly man engulfs himself in immorality when the existence of God is being erased from his mind. Now let me speak about this for just a moment. So important this morning that all of you believe in God. And like I said, as I started, I believe that everyone here probably believes what we've taught this morning. They believe in God. Amen, you believe in God. But let me ask you another question as we're coming to a close in just a moment. Here's a whole other question. Do you believe God? Two different things. You, you can believe in me that I exist, but that don't mean that you believe me. I had some people I went to school with I believed in them and, and that they existed. I knew they existed, but I didn't believe them. I didn't believe anything they said. There's a big difference. Now, while we would condemn our culture and understand how corrupt it is, how terrible it is for a culture to promote the idea that there is no existence of God, and it is, I agree. But if a person is, is taught that from a young person and they have come to, to, to allow themselves to be ignorantly informed and embrace the ideology that there is no God and their life reflects that, we, we understand why that is so. And it is bad, indeed. But to us, it may be here today that says, yes, there is a God. I know that there is a God. But then to turn right around and not believe Him seems as bad or worse. Because you're not, deny, you're not denying the existence of God. You're saying, I don't believe God. So yes, I know God's real. My conscience gives testimony. Yes, I know God is real. Creation, who can deny that? Now some people do. But whether you believe, if you believe in God, ask yourself now, do you believe God? You can believe He exists, but yet at the same time, not trust His Word and not believe the message of the Gospel. So yes, the man is a fool who says there is no existence of God. But what does that make you if you believe in God, but do not obey Him? It makes you a rebel. It makes you a rebel. Now, James chapter 2 and verse 19 says the demons, they believe in God. I mean, they don't, they don't deny His existence, but they rebelled against God. The fallen angels did. It's not enough for you this morning to believe in God, so as you heard the message, you might have comforted yourself and thought, well, at least I'm not like the world. At least I believe in God. 
At least I know God exists. I believe that, preacher. Amen. I know God exists. I do not deny that. Well, I'm glad that is the case. But do you believe God? If you believe in God, but do not believe God and believe His Word, then not only are you in rebellion against God's command, His Word, you, my friend, are in great danger. Because 1 John 5.10 says this, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of His Son. Now, this is terrible to not believe in God. But don't comfort yourself in the fact that you believe in God, but yet you have not believed God. God's testimony of what He has said He has done and that He sent His only begotten Son to the world, that through Him, through Him, by faith, we can be saved from our sins. So don't ask yourself just if do you believe in God, do you believe God? Of course, not believe in God is a fool, uh, but to not believe God is to call God a liar. And so I don't want anyone, anyone here today to die like that. Repent of your sins. Your conscience has told you. You know, if you're honest with yourself, your conscience has told you, you have broken God's moral law. You have lied. You have done things immoral. You know you have. Listen, the only remedy is in what God has provided through His Son, Jesus Christ, who bore our sin debt on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And that's the gospel message. So don't just believe in God. Believe what God has said about His Son. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we ask for your help this morning. Help us, Lord, as your people, as we are inundated in a culture, drowning in a culture that uh, just is, is godless in, in society and, and in so many ways, and in, in the media and in the entertainment and the schools and Father, it's everywhere. But Lord, we as your people, we know that you are real. We know that you exist. And as your people, we know that you are our God. And help us, Lord, to go out to confront this culture. And the Lord, to proclaim your reality. And then to follow it up with telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only solution that we have for our world. And it is the right solution. And Father, I pray that you give us a burden, Lord, to go out into this lost and dying world and to proclaim who you are and what you did for sinners such as we. Work in the hearts of the lost here today. May they be convicted by your Holy Spirit and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and yield to, your, to you and to your word and what you have to say about your Son and bow before King Jesus and embrace him as Lord and as Savior. Do this, we pray, for your own glory's sake. And amen. That's all.